Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Daniel. <clears throat> grab your Bibles and your journals. Um, we do want you to be able to follow along with us. If you need a, a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you a Bible. I know we say that um, every week, and we'll continue to do that because we, we definitely want you to uh, have a Bible. But let me also say, um, bring your Bible. <laughs> bring your Bible to church. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible to bring, then just take this one as a gift from us to you, um, and then bring it next Sunday, um, so that the Bible is available for the next person who doesn't have a Bible. Um, but I just love when we are here together studying God's Word, and the pages of the Scriptures are just being opened, right? Just open, our, our hearts open, and the Scriptures are open. I mean, that's really where God does a powerful work. And, and, and if you're, you're new to our church, or even if you've been around for a while, you know that um, on Sunday mornings, we're not talking about the you know, top Amazon book that's going to help you have your best life now. No, we're talking about God's Word. We're opening up God's Word, and we're going to study it chapter and verse and, and discover what it means uh, for our lives and be challenged by it. Definitely, there's going to be some challenges in Scripture. And the beautiful thing about that is as we go through the Bible, I'm not having to come up with some theme or topic or an idea that I want to preach on. And uh, I'm not using scripture to address things that, you know, I know that are going on in your life because this is a secret agenda that I have to, you know, tell you about how you need to change. No, it's a beautiful thing. As we open up God's word, then our hearts are open and he teaches us. And on a Sunday morning, we could be talking about fiery trials through Daniel chapter 3, but you just need Jesus. And you... you are just trying to make it through and God's going to show up and he's going to bless you and he's going to encourage you and sometimes we need the comfort of God God's the God of all comfort but sometimes we need the spanking of God too right I'm maybe I'm not talking about you guys but I'm talking about myself let me just put it that way I need to be corrected God disciplines those he loves right he loves us he he brings conviction in our lives. And the beautiful thing is that if you have a conviction in your life from something that's shared on Sunday morning or as you read the Bible and as you're just walking with God, you know what that tells you? It tells you that God's involved in your life. It tells you that you have a soft enough heart to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. And we just sang that song. That the Holy Spirit, we would sense His presence. And that so beautiful and sweet to stand there with you in the back and just hear just a small little guitar, acoustic guitar playing. But what I heard were voices singing. And that's great when the church sings. Because it's not about, you know, who's up on stage and the instruments and the performance and the presentation, the sound system. I've been in so many foreign countries um, over the years of, of walking with the Lord that... Uh, you know, people don't have anything. Christians, uh, sometimes they don't even, they don't have a church, they don't even have Bibles. 
they have just little scraps of it when we were helping uh, Christians in China and the underground church. And just how many uh, miles that they would travel. I can remember being in Cambodia with a couple of people from the church here. And we were outside, and it was hot and sweaty and muggy. And then the typhoon, tropical uh, typhoon came through. I mean, literally, the floor by the end of the service was flooded six inches. And we were like, okay, praise the Lord. Let's just, you know, worship him. doesn't matter. Just as long as we're close to him. And you're here today, not by chance. You're listening online to this message, not by chance. It's because God is drawing you. The Bible says, unless God draws you, it's not on any one person. Now, God can use a person to draw you close to him. But God wants a relationship with you. And he wants to reveal himself to you. And he wants to walk with you in those fiery trials. And so today, I pray all of us would just be open to what God has to say to us. And not go through the motions, as I've said before, but really to lean into the goodness of God in our lives. Because we need them now more than ever. Can I get an amen on that? It's okay to participate. I'm not a Pentecostal preacher, but, you know, hey, let's, uh, let's be excited um, about what God um, can do uh, in our lives and, be, and anticipate his, his goodness and his faithfulness. And so, as I mentioned, we uh, started this series in the book of Daniel a couple weeks ago, and uh, we're going through chapter and verse looking at this story. And I think it's really important um, for us just at this time uh, to study the book of Daniel on a couple of reasons. One is, is that in Daniel, we see uh, biblical prophecy as relating to end times in the Great Tribulation. And I, so I think that's important because, one, I believe that we're living in the end times. And two, I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back at any moment. We need to be ready as Christ's church without wrinkle, spot, or blemish. And three, the circumstances surrounding us... <clears throat> are pointing us back to what God has already said in Scripture. And the, Bible's, uh, the Bible, if you read through it, it's, it co- contains about 30% of um, biblical prophecy. And so this is important for us today, living in the time that we live in right now. But it's also important because we're introduced to these four individuals, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were given new names as Jewish boys who were taken captive into Babylon, a great powerful empire during the time. And most scholars believe that these guys were like 13 to 17 years old, young young teenage boys. And yet we find that they were remarkably strong in their faith and were um, unwilling to compromise when they faced uh, very uh, powerful powers uh, to force them to do things against their convictions and their belief in God and even in his word up until that time. And so um, I believe that uh, we can be encouraged by them and be challenged as well as we live in our times and cultures. And so if you've been tracking with us um, over these past couple weeks, we were introduced to Daniel who dared to be different. He, uh, you know, he, he decided that he was going to follow the Lord and not compromise his faith, um, not um, pollute himself or defile himself. That was the word he used. I'm not going to defile myself with the food of the king. And it started off, interesting enough, as we track through this story, it's, you know, it started off in a small thing, but now we're going to find out not only Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this chapter with, with bowing down and worshiping an idol, or Daniel doing the same thing and being thrown into the, in the lion's den, is that oftentimes God tests 
our faith and refines our faith in the small things. Not just the big thing. It's not, you know, one day you're going to be told, you know, by the government, you got to bow down and worship, you know, the president of the United States. I I don't know. Maybe we might be getting there. Who knows? But uh, that's a very scary thought. Uh, But it usually doesn't happen so dramatically like that. There's small little things that God is doing in our lives. And never underestimate the testing of small things in your life and the faithfulness that God wants to teach us through those things. And that's getting us to this point where, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are presented with this idol. Now, last week, uh, we looked at the, um, the vision and the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had of this great statue. And it was, uh, you know, built of different materials, of gold and, and um, br- uh, silver and bronze and iron and clay. But we're told in that dream that there was this, um, not only was there this powerful statue, but there was this prominent stone, this small little stone that was cut out without hands, human hands, which is a symbol and a representation of Jesus Christ. In fact, he mentions this during his ministry by saying the stone, this small stone that the builders rejected, has become the uh, chief cornerstone. And this stone in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream uh, grew into this mighty mountain, crushed the feet of the statue in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and the whole statue came tumbling down. Now, we're told that uh, this dream in the interpretation is, a, is a, a representation of the various kingdoms that would come after King Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylon, you, Babylonian Empire, you have the, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, you have the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. Basically, the, the, the moral of the story of the... the uh, the meaning of, of the story in chapter 2 is that God alone is king. He's the one that controls the rise and the fall of kingdoms and nations. And what's interesting at the end of chapter 2 is that King Nebuchadnezzar says, Wow, God is awesome. He's given you, Daniel, this great ability to interpret this dream. And, uh, and your God is amazing. In fact, they get promoted and all these wonderful gifts. But the very next verse, what we find in chapter 3, is that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar erects this large image, golden image, to be worshipped. So, a couple of things. One is to, just to set the stage for us as we jump into chapter 3. Uh, one is the, the main theme that we're going to talk about today. The title of the message, you can see it up on the screen, is A Fiery Trial, because this is a very familiar and popular story. You might have heard it in Sunday school or, you know, read it somewhere, but uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get thrown into a fiery furnace because they don't bow down and worship this image. And the lessons that we can learn from this later on in life is that the testing of our faith is often tried by fire. The testing of our faith is often tried by fire. And uh, the Bible talks a lot about the fiery trials that we experience Uh, That even the book of James tells us that we should consider it joy when we encounter trials of various kinds. For we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. You know, Jesus also said that that, uh, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And you might have heard the phrase, you've either experienced a trial, you're, you're in a trial... Or you're going to be going into a trial. And we've all experienced those types of testings and and difficulties. And uh, this is kind of highlighted for us in this chapter. But a couple of things as we work through the text. One is we're going to see, first, that the king proclaims this worship of this uh, this idol. Secondly, we're going to see an accusation brought against Daniel and his friend, excuse me, Daniel's friends. Third, we're going to see the protection that 
uh, God provides uh, these men in the fiery furnace. And then lastly, we're going to see, which is very similar to the end of chapter 2, a confession that um, King Nebuchadnezzar makes of God and of his power. So there's a lot to get to. Let's just jump into the text, beginning in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. So based on the math, it's about 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to dedication of the image which the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the king, excuse me, the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that the king has set up. Everyone say worship. So this is at the kind of the heart of, of uh, the issue here that uh, these men bring up, falling down and worshiping. It's, it's actually the first of 11 references to the word worship in this chapter. 11 times this word is, is mentioned, this idea of, of worship. And in verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery fear tactic. There's a way to get people to sing, right? You just say, okay, here's the, here's the penalty. So there's the fear tactics. There's always fear tactics when, um, when your faith is being tested. There's a challenge uh, in the sense of, you know, the fear that we may have because of what we're experiencing and going through. Um, and so this is a fear tactic that the king makes. So all that time, so at that time, excuse me, verse 7, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and language fell down and worship the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We'll just pause there, talk about the opening verses, which really sets the stage for the problem and the issue for these men, the king proclaiming the worship of this golden statue. Now, it wasn't um, new or different for the people in Babylon to have an idol, to have this type of image. Uh, there's many cultures at this time were, were very polytheistic. Uh, in fact, many cultures even today are polytheistic in the sense of multiple gods and worshiping various different gods and even having images and, and uh, you know, statues that, that represent those gods. In fact, if you remember back in the Old Testament with the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, beginning with, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not fashion any type of image uh, to be a representation of me or, or of worship, for, for the scripture says that I am a very jealous God. And so it wasn't new for the people in Babylon, but it, it definitely was um, an offense and a challenge for these Jewish boys who had been given the Ten Commandments, they had uh, been given the covenant. Uh, you know, to bow down and worship this uh, golden image was to deny 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it was a very serious thing. And he uh, proclaims this. I find it very interesting in the transition from chapter 2 because here King Nebuchadnezzar had this image and this vision of this uh, statue which was destroyed. And the very next thing that we see him do is build up an image to be worshipped, to exert his political authority and power. Now, I just naturally, in reading the text, would think that this would happen very quickly. Some scholars and commentators believe that maybe it happened 20, even 30 years later that he erected this, uh, this statue, um, but I, I don't think that the timing of it is really all that significant because in, in one sense, we see the pride and the arrogance. We're actually introduced to um, King Nebuchadnezzar's character and nature because later on we see him filled with rage and, and fury and anger, but here we see him filled with pride and arrogance to exert political and religious control and authority in proclaiming the worship. And basically at, at the kind of the, the bottom level, the base level of worship is surrender. It's of submission and it's of, of reverence. And so, you know, worship really lies at the core or at the heart of allegiance. When we have an allegiance to something, well, we, we worship it. We give it um, our attention and our focus and our admiration. And it's, it's easy to, to find out the things that we um, admire and even worship by looking at the things that we spend our money on or where we spend our time. And, you know, maybe kind of making the leap forward to our culture and our days is that an idol, you know, for us today is anything that would draw our attention and our affection and our worship away from God. So the question that we would have to ask ourselves today is that, is there anything in our lives that is, has dethroned the, the, the worship of God in our lives? Has taken Jesus off the rightful place of, of affection and of focus and of attention? And uh, there's many things that vie for our attention that can distract us and, you know, keep us looking at other things and uh, drawing our worship uh, away from God. I think that's one question that comes from this text um, in an application for for us today. But there's this penalty. Did you see that? Uh, Thrown into uh, fire and certain death and, and, uh, and destruction. And so you remember Jesus was even tempted by this. Uh, in the wilderness, uh, Satan said, you know, if you just uh, bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these things. Uh, and, you know, you remember Jesus, he responded that, uh, you know, that we should worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so we're reminded of the encouragement that these uh, men have in standing their ground and in understanding the seriousness of of the worship that we give to other people or, or, or other things. And so the king sets up this image. Now, the problem here is that uh, these boys are accused of something. And it's interesting because we have to look at the motivation behind this accusation. Look with me in verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Everyone say accused. So these... Um, you know, rulers and, and wise men and magicians and leaders are looking at the behavior of these men and they're accusing them of something. And they spoke and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone 
who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. Yes, that's correct. I said that. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fire, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, everyone say rage, now say fury. I'm sure none of you guys have a problem with anger, but uh, King Nebuchadnezzar definitely had. It's interesting that the ki- King Nebuchadnezzar could conquer nations, but he couldn't control his passions. He couldn't control his emotions. And uh, I think that's a, you know, a lesson for us. You know, the Bible says, it talks about how the, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that we are encouraged in Scripture to be slow to, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Uh, there's uh, talks about in Proverbs chapter 16, I believe, that there's foolishness in the heart of a man who is prone to fits of outbursts of anger and wrath. And so the king here is um, full of rage and fury. And he gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 13. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? So their, their, uh, their actions, their behavior, their faith is under scrutiny. It's basically under cross-examination. Is it true? They're given an opportunity to respond and to answer for their behavior and their actions. And uh, in verse 15, Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you should be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Just circle and underline that phrase. That's the key to understanding and unlocking this chapter and, uh, and even this book. Who is the, he asks a couple of questions. Is this true? But then he, he asks the question, who is the God? Now, that, that question is going to be answered by him at the end of this chapter. And he's going to say, well, God, your God, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your God is the one who can deliver you from my hands. And who is the one? You see the pride. From my hands, I have all this power. And, uh, you know, just previously, Daniel provided uh, King Nebuchadnezzar with the insight that his authority and power came from the God of heaven and the God who is con- uh, the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And so uh, in verse 13, and if this, that is, excuse me, in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They weren't being disrespectful. They were basically saying, we're not going to give a defense. We're not going to try to talk our way out of it. What has been accused or said is true. And if that is the case, they say to this king, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery burning furnace 
And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, would you circle that in the, in, in the person's Bible sitting behind you? Just turn right around right now and, you know, just do it for them. They'll like you and you'll make a new friend. Uh, but that's an important phrase right there. But if not, you see, they were willing to put full trust in the Lord and trust in whatever consequence or whatever scenario or whatever situation is going to happen. But if not, let it be known to you, no matter what happens to us, King, whether good or bad, whether we burn or, or, or not, we are going to worship the Lord. We're going to praise Him. Uh, and we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Pretty remarkable, right? These young boys uh, standing firm on, uh, you know, their faith. Daniel's friends here in this second section are accused of defying the king's orders. Notice that um, they're being observed and watched. And uh, as someone who is professing to follow God and be a um, a Christ follower, your life is under scrutiny. Your life is being observed and watched, whatever workplace or environment or home or, or school or wherever you're at. The people are, are watching your life to see whether or not that you're genuine and, and real um, in your beliefs and uh, whether your walk is going to match the talk or the belief that, that we have. And I think it's interesting that for these young boys, that there was enough evidence to convict them of breaking this law. And I wonder if there's evidence in our lives of convicting us, of following the Lord, of, of, um, of taking a stand, you know, for Him. Now, why do you think these, these rulers and wise guys were uh, trying to take these boys down? Well, we know in the previous chapter that they, well, they saved their lives, but they were also promoted and given all kinds of, uh, you know, gifts and, and positions of authority in the kingdom. And here are these Jewish exiles. So they were very envious of these guys. And they were beginning to look and try to find ways. They did the same thing even for Jesus, the political, uh, re- excuse me, the religious rulers during Jesus' time. They were very uh, envious of Jesus and they looked for ways to betray him, to, to take him down. And they did the same for these boys, envious betrayal. Because there was evidence. Now, we don't know whether or not Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there at the initial bow down and worship the image event, the dedication. It's most likely that they were, but we're told that there were so many people that it's probably hard to kind of point out those who were complying with the rule or or those who were not. But we are told, based on their willingness to take a stand in the face of this king who had such power and authority that whether they were there or not, they would not have bowed down in that moment and they were not willing to bow down even in this moment. They say, based on their convictions, we will not, we will not. And I think that their faith is a a testament. In fact, we're told later on in the book of Hebrews, you might be familiar with the the chapter, uh, the hall of faith in chapter 11. We see, not mentioned by name specifically, but not only Daniel, how God stopped because of his faith the mouths of the lions and quenched the fiery flames of the furnace. That, that their faith was um, on trial. That their faith glowed even more as they went through this, 
uh, difficult uh, pressure and, and intensity of, of trial. That, that faith here, not only for these men, but also for us, faith allows us to stand up when it's safer to lie low. And I, I think oftentimes we're confronted with situations where it's easier to just lie low, to not say anything, to uh, not stand out, to not uh, make any waves. It's easier. It's, it's interesting. Um, over, over the summer, as we had uh, some time to just take a, a break and a rest, am I, am I breaking up here? Is it, it's probably my big beard. Is that it? Getting all scratchy in there. I don't know. I'll, I'll bend it out. But um, just thinking about this last summer, and some of the things that the Lord was teaching me is that the longer I've been walking with the Lord, I found that it has become easier to make decisions based on what is safe, not based on requiring faith. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but the longer that we walk with God, the more easier, the more comfortable it is. And we can rely on our abilities or um, on, on the things that we've always done. And, and the decisions that we make require less faith to trust the Lord. To get out on a limb and to say, man, I'm really outside of my comfort zone. And, and I don't know how this is going to work. And I, and I don't know where the resources are, are going to come. And I'm very fearful and, and I'm, I'm worried. But yet, God, I know that you can. I know that you are able. The interesting thing about the story with um, Daniel in the lion's den, which we'll get to uh, in the weeks to come, but also with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is that God delivered them right away. Now, who wants that deliverance? I know I do. Yeah, okay, well, let's just uh, quench the fires and, and we'll praise the Lord and move on. But submission to God and surrendering uh, to Him, trust Him with the final scenario. It trusts him with whatever the scenario is going to turn out to be. And we, we have an idea in our mind how the scenario should be. We say, well, the fires are quenched, the lion's mouths are stopped, and we're delivered, and, and, and away we go. But sometimes we're in the furnace for a while. Sometimes it seems like we're just getting burned up and burned out. And the, 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 the flames are so hot and so intense that we wonder, well, where is God? What is God doing? Why doesn't he deliver? Why doesn't he quench these flames? Worship and surrender. Having a faith like these men that say, no matter what, no matter how intense the flames of fire are, I'm just going to worship him. I'm going to trust him. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But I know that God is working out things in my favor for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, fear can be overwhelming when faith is under scrutiny. When our faith is under the microscope, under the cross-examination, so to speak, as these boys standing before the king, there can come times where we're questioned for our faith, where we're standing out and looking different, where it means that we stand up for those things. You know, there's a scripture that talks about how we should always be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. But to give a defense with meekness and fear. And, you know, meekness is not weakness. It's actually a, a superpower. It's a Christian superpower. It was modeled in Jesus' life. But uh, these boys as well, they weren't um, disrespectful. 
They were very reasonable. They talked in response to the accusations. And they said that we will not. And whether or not God is going to deliver us, we still are going to trust Him no matter what we experience. Some were delivered. If you read the uh, chapter in Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 11, many people were delivered, but some were not. And yet their faith was refined. You know, one other note to make on these boys during this time is that they could have come up with a lot of excuses, right? They, I think the excuses could have piled up as the pressure poured on. As the pressure came upon them, oh, okay, well, King, I think there's a misunderstanding, and yeah, uh, you know, we want to make it through the day, we, we want to live, um, and uh, we'll make some compromises, we'll make some changes, a lot of excuses they could have had, but they didn't want anything to do with excuses. They were willing to stand up and to trust the Lord and, uh, and to make their case before the king. Now notice what happens in verse 19. The story continues. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You ever had that happen? Just a click. You realize, man, where did that come from? How come I became so angry? It's like, you need some alone time. How about you go to your room? What is wrong with your face? <laughs> go, to, go to your room and pray and calm down and read your Bible or just do something uh, because sometimes it can just turn. And, you know, it, ha- it turned for Nebuchadnezzar when he realized that he wasn't getting his way and that he couldn't control somebody. And uh, sometimes, you know, some of the most dangerous people are Christians who don't get their way. <laughs> when Christians don't get their way, oh, they can turn into some, some, some fierce animals um, and some, some raging lunatics. Can I say that? <laughs> I'm sure none of you, but uh, man, how quickly, how quickly it can turn. And so um, in the face of this anger, he spoke and commanded that the heat The furnace seven times would be increased more than was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, uh, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore... Because of the king's command was so urgent and the furnace exceeded exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Everyone say astonished. And he rose in haste And spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, Yes, this is true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fourth, excuse me, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Wow, what a powerful image. Amazing turn of events. As... Uh, these men are cast into the fiery furnace. God protects Daniel, 
his friends from the fiery furnace, the anger we already talked about, how he could conquer nations but couldn't control his passions and his emotions. And because of that, his full anger and fury is cast out upon these boys who would not obey his commands and bow down and worship. And uh, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. We've talked a little bit about some of the trials and, um, you know, fiery times that we experience. I think it's important to note also that being a Christian, being a Christ follower, does not make you and I immune to the trials of life. That we will experience these types of trials. You might be thinking, well, I gave my life to Jesus and uh, I'm following him. I go into church and I'm tithing and uh, I, I serve at, at, you know, on the, uh, in Sunday school and, you know, I do all these things. I go on a mission trip, whatever it is. Okay, God, I'm, I shouldn't experience this trial. I shouldn't go through this thing. I shouldn't be diagnosed with that. My child shouldn't suffer from this. I should have uh, a job. How come I'm struggling with, you know, provision and finances? Why is this happening? I think it's natural for us to ask those questions, but we also can temper that with the fact that just because we're following Jesus doesn't make us immune to these types of things. We will experience them. We talked a little bit about how God uses these things to bring about his, his character and his, his purpose and his plan in our lives. And yet, we see the deliverance that, um, that Jesus provides and uh, we're told here that there is a, a symbol and a picture. Notice that King Nebuchadnezzar says, this fourth person in the fire is like the Son of God. Here's a picture of Jesus. A picture of Jesus in the Old Testament, of the Son of God being present in the midst of the fiery furnace. Let me just encourage you that if you are going through a very difficult time right now, we were praying earlier before the service starts, with our team, just asking every single one of you to experience God's presence. And sometimes we might know that God is present. We hear and understand the scriptures. He'll never leave us or forsake us. But sometimes the, the flames are so intense that it doesn't seem like he's there. It doesn't seem like he is near. And Jesus promises his presence in every painful furnace. Whatever fire, whatever furnace, whatever pressure cooker that you might be in right now, as a follower of Jesus, he promises he will be with you. He promises to be in the midst of that intense fire and furnace. This is the hope that we have. This is the encouragement that we have as we go through these types of trials. This is no less than a, a, a miracle, powerful miracle. And why is God doing this? Why does God allow us to see this? Why does God allow the king to see this? Well, we know that God is working in the king's heart. We saw that in chapter 2. Oh, God, Daniel, your God is pretty powerful. We're going to see that here in chapter 3. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your God is pretty powerful. God is working in the king's heart. He's also working in these boys' hearts. I think he's also working in our heart to get us to a place of surrender and submission of allowing our faith to be refined by the fiery trials that we experience, to be submitted to him in full surrender, no matter the final scenario and the outcome. Notice what happens as the story closes here in verse 26. Then King Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire. I find it interesting. They didn't obey the command to fall down, but they did obey the command to come out. 
And, uh, you know, there's never a formula of how we're to navigate these things. Well, do I obey him now? No, I, I actually like it in the fire, king. Because Jesus is here. And sometimes, you know, that furnace is extended because the sweet presence of Jesus is good. But other times, he'll call us out so that we can share the story of how Jesus has walked us through the fiery trials. And that's what's going to happen. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of the midst of the fire, the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the kings, counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair on their head was not singed, nor their garments affected. The smell of fire was not on them. Miraculous. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word. Remember that question before? Who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? Well, it's answered here. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God who frustrated my words and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, language who speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut to pieces. Ooh, well, boy, he just, he's kind of just staying in that one lane, right? He's enforcing, well, okay, you worship my God, you're going to get cut to pieces. If you don't worship their God, you're going to get cut to pieces. That's kind of probably a bad tactic to take, uh, you, you know, with enforcing worship. But he's coming around. He's coming around to it. We're going to find out that he is fully humbled by God. And makes a personal profession. The God of Daniel, the God of Shadrach, no, he's my God. The God who can deliver like this. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Chapter 3 ends just as the way chapter 2 ended with a confession. uh, As well as this kind of decree and and a promotion. That this confession, notice a couple things and we'll close with this. One is that. This is the second time King Nebuchadnezzar has confessed the God who is in control, but he hasn't fully submitted his life to him. And confession of who God truly is should lead to submission of his work in our lives. And that's the case for these young men as they come out. They give this testimony. Notice they didn't say anything. It was their actions. It was God's work in their life that spoke more. Well, it spoke in conjunction with they stood up for their faith. They proclaimed we will not bow down. But then they were willing to put that to the test and be thrown. Whether or not God would answer, we will not serve or worship any other gods. You know, seeing God's work in our lives is a powerful and effective witness to others. As I started off, I'll close here and we'll have our worship team come on up. Is that... Um, God is um, at work in our lives and he often allows other people to see what he's doing in our lives. And that's a difficult thing because you might be saying, well, I'm going through trials and tribulations so that other people can be encouraged and blessed. Yes, but also so that you can be encouraged and blessed because people will look at your faith and say, how can you have joy? How can you be standing and walking? Notice um, that they weren't willing to bow down to the golden image, 
But once they were thrown into the fiery furnace, they were willing and able to stand up. And sometimes we just feel like we can't stand up in the pressure and in the tribulation and the trouble. Here they are standing up. And people will come to you as they watch your life and they'll say, how are you getting through this? It's because the fourth man. It's because the Son of God. It's because Jesus Christ. He's the one that has clothed me. He's the one that has shielded me. He's the one that has, has protected me. He's the one that is walking with me. So a couple of takeaways for us. I'm sure there's plenty, perhaps not even some that I'm going to mention here, but just being open to how God would speak to us through this chapter. One is we talked about idols, and we talked about how those types of idols can distract us and draw our affection and worship. Is there any idol that you need to remove today? Is there anything that has been put up in a pedestal above God and that is really distracting you from the Lord? Well, we're encouraged to remove those things today. How about, is there, is there any rule or law or regulation that is being passed or told to you that is in direct contradiction to the word of God, we are coming to a place in our culture and world and society and city and laws and, and government that our faith is going to be more and more tested with our convictions on biblical truth. And when we are told that we can't worship Jesus, what are we going to do, church? Okay, all right, well, here we go. Well, then the king says, but you're going to get thrown in prison. Well, now the rubber meets the road. <laughs> well, I got, a, I got kids to take care of, and I've got a family to provide for, and now I'm going to be thrown in prison, and now I'm going to be labeled whatever, this, that, or the other. Friends, uh, reality hits close to home. When, when, um, when governmental laws contradict the command of God, that is where faith is really put to the test. And I say that on a couple, for a couple of reasons. One is because it's, it's right here for us in the text. But also, too, is that we are being confronted with those same challenges even today. That laws are being passed in contradiction to the Word of God. And we are challenged to take a stand of faith. And... May the Lord Jesus Christ help us and his church to be able to be bold witnesses for him. Not, excuse me, to do it in a way like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They did it with conviction. They did it with truth. They did it with integrity. They did it with honesty. And they did it with boldness, trusting the Lord. And may the Lord Jesus Christ help us all as we're confronted with these challenges. But to resolve to stand up for our biblical convictions is a very clear takeaway for us. And that might be something that you are encountering in your job and in your work and you're fearful because you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose that position. Let me encourage you to stand upon the truth of God's word and allow him to work out the final outcome in the scenario. Lastly, let me just say this. If the storm and the fire is raging, Jesus is with you. His presence is there. Cling to him. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray for our country right now. These are moments where we see very clearly 
the trajectory and the course of our country. And it's not something that we should be surprised by because you told us this would happen. And you also told us that there would be a great sifting and a shaking in the end times. That anything and everything that can be shaken will be shook. And Lord, I pray just on a very personal level that anyone's faith right now, who, who, anyone whose faith is being shaken right now, that they would not walk away from you, or throw in the towel, or give up but that their faith, which is more precious than gold, would be refined to look more like Jesus in their life. And we also know that the world is going to be shook. We pray, Lord, that you would bring a revival. You would bring a renewal. You would bring awakening. Shaking, shaking occurs so that we could be awakened so the church, your bride, would be ready, looking, anticipating, waiting for your return. Being bright, shining, confident, bold for you in our dark, desperate, evil times where men will be lovers of pleasure and lovers of themselves, where the natural affections of people would grow cold, and there would be divisions and hatred and angers and wars. Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But as we wait for your coming, may you purge and refine your church, your people, to be like these teenage boys so that when they look at us, they see, wow, your God, he's the only one who can deliver. He's the only one. The government will be upon his shoulders, we're told at one point. And his kingdom will never end. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, may we follow you trust you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.